The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. At the Last Supper, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I think it's important for me to say at the beginning of this sermon that there are no subliminal messages in it. (laughs) I'm not preaching it because we're having conflict. But I think we need to talk about how we live together, especially when we're living together well. So that should the time come when we find ourselves stressed, we remember how to do it. For those of you who might have uh, had a foggy morning this morning, you might, after hearing that gospel, think that you've uh, awakened in Holy Week because we're back at the Lord's Supper. And I thought, why would the uh, people who put the lectionary together do that? Why would we have that flashback? And perhaps the reason for that is because what Jesus was saying to his disciples that night as they gathered after Judas had rushed from the room were things that they could not understand that night, but they could understand them after the resurrection. And I believe that the same may be true for us as well. We have to consider what Jesus said that night to his disciples and what he says to the church in light of the resurrection. Understanding that we, too, are resurrected with him, that new life has come, that the kingdom of God is truly at hand, is in our midst. And how do we come a part of that? How do we enter into that? I want to focus particularly on the last thing that we hear Jesus say in today's reading. He he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Anyone who's had any experience in the church at all knows that sometimes the church can be an unloving place. It can be very difficult at times. We see it in the church universal where doctrine has separated churches for literally hundreds of years. And where the dialogue and the interchange between churches can sometimes be very prickly. We experience it now in our own Anglican communion as the the various uh, parts of the communion struggle with understanding of human sexuality and of the role of women. If you can believe it, we're still talking about the role of women and authority in the church and in the communion. We find it hard to talk about things that we disagree about and to talk about them in loving ways. And then, of course, 
is most painfully felt when there's conflict in the local church and when there's a sense that people have spoken in an unloving way or that perhaps one cannot be heard. And then in the worst of times, when it results in churches falling into severe conflict and having splits. We see it and we've experienced it in our lives and anyone who's gone through it, especially in the local congregation, knows how painful it is and how long it takes to heal from the wounds that are experienced in the church. Hopefully that is not your experience. And I am so thankful that it is not our experience as a congregation right now. In fact, it's because of that that I think we need to think about it and understand it. For many years, I heard and I read about the development of the early church in terms of the development of house churches. And you recall that those were the uh, gatherings of uh, the early Christians, often uh, Jews who were starting to have a glimpse of what this Messiah had preached and who he was and heard about the resurrection and be, were drawn into that community. And these house churches were essentially large homes of wealthy patrons, often of women. And in the center of, of many of those homes were courtyards with fountains, sometimes uh, holding as many as uh, 30 or 40 people gathering to worship. Those were the house churches, and they were hierarchical. They were of people of different classes, but people of the same race and sometimes of same ethnicity. And one can imagine that it was very interesting for these people of different classes to come together to try to worship together and understand how this new life that they had found in Christ could be lived out in community. But I've recently come to understand that there's another form of development of the church that perhaps is even more important than the development of house churches. And that's the development of the tenement church. Archaeologists have determined that the earliest presence of the church in Rome was in the two poorest and most densely populated areas of the city. Places in Rome that were inhabited predominantly by immigrants, by slaves, and by those who had been recently freed as slaves. They were the poorest of the poor. And they came from all over the Roman Empire. And they were there for all sorts of reasons, some of them taken as a result of battle, some who had been moved there because their masters had moved to Rome. They had come from everywhere and their experiences were very different. They were from every race and ethnic background one could imagine in the Roman Empire. And they found themselves in these tenements that were essentially apartment blocks of uh, buildings of four or five stories. The first floor uh, were, were the shops and then above that, perhaps the person and his family who maintained that shop ran the shop for a an absent uh, owner and then as you went up in the building they be, people became more poor and finally the poorest and the most marginalized in the upper stories of the building one can imagine in, in the summer in Rome how hot and how difficult it must have been to live in those places and then in winter without central heating without running water without toilet facilities and the density of these populations was truly remarkable. They estimate that there were approximately 300 people per acre living in these tenements. Now, to put that in perspective, that's two and a half times the density of Calcutta, and it's three times the density of Manhattan. 
A family unit would live in a cubicle about 10 square meters, the whole family in that cubicle, with a common space that would be shared by all of the families. And yet it was in that context that the church was born. That's where the church took root. That's where it took root, especially among the Gentiles. Can you imagine what it must have been like to come together, all of these people, some of them speaking even different languages from the others? Now, there's a, a scholar by the name of Robert Jewett who has done some study of this, and he talks about what these early worship service must have been like, and he, he believes that they were love feasts. And any of you who uh, grew up in the Methodist tradition know that the Methodists still have love feasts where people come together, often a potluck, you know, share food together and have fellowship and really just celebrate their community. And we have that as well in Holy Week. We have often have an agape meal where we come together, celebrate and give thanks for being together as a community. Uh, Professor Jewett believes that. People would, uh, at the end of uh, the day on the Lord's Day, because it was just another work day, perhaps in the evening at night after they all got home, they would take whatever they had and they would bring it together to have a feast. And perhaps it wasn't much, but if every family brought what they had, they could share that and they could have what he called love communalism, this gathering in love, in the love of Christ. And he goes on to say that as they gathered in that way, as they ate that meal, there was a sense that a new age had dawned and that Christ was present in the feast. And eventually it became a more symbolic feast and ultimately we saw it as a sacrament. It became very stylized and now we celebrate it as our Eucharist. But he believed strongly that at first was these people gathering together different tongues, different races, different nationalities in a way that they had never done before. And I believe that was possible because they had received the new commandment to love one another in spite of the differences, in spite of the circumstances and how difficult their lives had become. They had received and they believed that they truly could love one another. Now, that commandment and living into it, I think, isn't rocket science. It requires intentional living. And you might ask, what does that kind of love look like? Because there are many different kinds of love. Unfortunately, in English, we don't have different words for love that would help us see clearly what it is. But this is the kind of love that allows us to see the other person as a valued human being, having the right to be and to believe and to express themselves in a way that fits into the community, but in a way that can be heard by the community. It's the sort of love that I think we have experienced in this parish that we sometimes speak of in terms of inreach as opposed to outreach, truly caring for one another. And we've seen this especially, I think, in the development of the caring connection over the past uh, months. There are so many ways that this congregation cares for one another that I, I hesitate to even begin naming them. We'll have people who will leave this service and will take communion to those who cannot be with us today. We have people who are home and who knit, who knit prayer shawls that can be given to someone who's in need of prayer and the knowledge that the whole community is, is thinking and praying with them. 
We have people who do things completely in an unorganized way on the spur of the moment because they know someone who needs to know that they are loved and cared for. I believe that that's part of living into the commandment to love one another. We in the church have a particular responsibility to be very conscious of the fact that we are called to live in a different way. We are not like to be the rest of the world. And that means the way that we deal with one another over our differences. And although we don't have, that I'm aware of, <laughs> tension and conflict in our parish at this moment, the time may very well come when we have disagreements about things that are important to all of us. And the, the, the reality of how we have developed as Christians and how we live the Christian life will be tested in that moment if we can still come to one another in love and listen to one another and truly hear the other. If this can be a place where people can hold different political views and be present and speak their mind and be heard in a way that they can truly be understood, then we have lived into that commandment to love one another. If this can be a place where we can hold different views about things that are important to us about the faith and respect one another, knowing that we are in different places, then we have lived into the commandment to love one another. Jesus was the sacrament of God. He is the sacrament of God. Jesus revealed God in a real way. He, he revealed the essence of God in a way that made it possible for those who encountered Jesus to know it. The church is the sacrament of Christ because the church is to reveal the essence of Christ in the world. And you and I, in a sense, are part of that sacrament. We are a living sacrament. We should be people who bring into the world the essence of the Christ. And we come together to learn how to do that, to learn how to be that kind of sacrament. We are the body of Christ. And as long as we can live and live into that commandment to love one another, we will be the body of Christ and we will be seen as his disciples. That is our calling. That is the most important part of our calling, that we love one another as he loved us. Amen.